Hey everyone, welcome to episode 4 of the Curly Mustache Podcast, where each week we take one real-life villain and one fictional villain, discuss their histories, their crimes, why they did it, any connections they may have, and whether they are redeemable or not with our trusty bowler hat scale. I'm Steven. I'm Joel Dateline, coming to you live from Texas. We have another... <laughs> Fuck, you know what, I can't even keep the joke going. I'm Joel, capable of doing a joke mingle. <laughs> and I feel like we've stolen some hearts with our first few episodes. What do you think? I am absolutely stunned. I'm getting more feedback. Like, I put a little video up on TikTok where... And I've gotten a shit ton of messages from people who are saying they've subscribed that... I, I don't even know who they are. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, like, I don't think we've, like, sneakily burgled them either. I feel like we've, like, pulled up in a shitty 1930s Ford and gunned them all down with our terrible jokes and our half-assed content and then ripped the tasty streams and downloads right out of their cold, dead fingers. Jesus, you thought about this a lot. <laughs> no, straight up, my mom listened to an episode. Mm-hmm. And my mom liked it. <laughs> That's fucking amazing. <laughs> that's, that's pretty interesting. She must be a, a hard woman to please. D- no. I... <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, I knew you were fucking going there. <laughs> Don't insult Saint Cindy, goddammit. Anyway, so today we're going to talk about the uh, everything is bigger in Texas bucket of sass, robbery, murder, and poetry, Bonnie Parker, as well as the witty thief that is the foremost in feline femininity. Catwoman. In fact, one might say she's perfect, dear. Oh yes, that was uh, that was good. No, yes. no, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't, and I own it. I accept it. In the great words of Cheats McGee, that was bad, and you should feel bad. I I had a whole bunch of jokes going, but you threw a Cheats McGee at me, so you know what? Fuck it, we're done. Show's over. Podcast over. All right, so uh, let's get started with Bonnie Parker, shall we? Shall we make our way to Rowena, Texas, where she was born in 1910? Rowena, Texas, which I actually Googled this and looked at it, and they have uh, flashback sites where they can show you what it would look like back in 1920, which is where I looked. And dear God, no wonder she became a mass murderer, bank robber, and criminal, because that's like a McCarthy Cormick novel came to life. And became a place. <laughs> Desolate is a fucking understatement. So you said you looked at back in, what, 1920? Mm-hmm. So she was born in 1910, so that would have been, she would have been about 10 years old, which was roughly half of her life, because everything that Bonnie Parker did in the whole Bonnie and Clyde gang was, eh, she was 24 years old. That's, that's as long as she made it. Which, you know, that doesn't sound like, that sounds crazy, but back then, you know, she was 10 and unmarried, which made her... An old biddy who could never get married because, you know, 10 without children and a husband? What? Yeah, I think it, she was 15 when she got married. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, she got married to a Mr. Roy Thornton, correct? Yeah, yeah. She was a seamstress at the time and uh, dropped out of school and married Roy. Uh, and he was kind of a piece of shit, you know, constantly involved with uh, stealing. Found himself in prison. And they had their marital issues, but they never divorced because, you know, divorcing was one of those things that was unheard of in the early 20s. Like, I understand where people want to stay together. I get that. Okay, I've been there, personally. I understand that you don't want... that You make a vow, you make a promise, you want to stick to it. But, hey, Roy, if your wife is boinking another dude and going running around the country 
murdering people. Hey, now, there is no evidence that they were boinking. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, because, you know, murderous males and male and females can just stay friends. They can. Mm -hmm. they can. There's no way that their psychopathy that is involved in the creation of these two it be incumbent upon them to continuously up the ante. And not like human sexuality is a thing that people negate. Yeah. Okay, Stephen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what? You just you just keep going with that thought process. I'm gonna let you fucking steer the ship today. Fucking bullshit, Stephen. They were fucking dicks and vaginas and assholes. Say it. Say uh, it. Right, they were right. fucking. I'm, I'm not gonna say, say it. Say it. There's there was no proof. They was fucking. Like you said, born in the desolate wasteland of Rowena, Texas, uh, her father died when she was just four years old. Her mother moved her and her family of three children to West Dallas. So that's actually where the majority of her life uh, she spent was West Dallas. West Dallas, that particular part of uh, Texas, especially in that time, was an incredibly violent and dangerous part of the country. There was still Native American attacks going on in the 1920s they were very 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 few and primarily on reservations and whatnot but this was literally still in the 1920 1910 to 1920s they were still dealing with that wild west mind frame so that kind of gives you the idea of what kind of world she came up in and how she kind of formed into the nutcase that she was right and you know bonnie and clyde was essentially like the beginning of the end of these you know wild west bank robberies and you know the style of of gangsterdom <laughs> is what i like to call it you know because you had babyface nelson and al capone and and these people but all of them were really kind of wrapped up by the mid-30s and you know this that was essentially the end of this wild west basically when the when the fbi and the u.s marshals and Texas Rangers also just started taking these people out. Like, that taught the lesson. That was it. It was like, that was the end. Yeah, that was the end of the public enemy. Public enemies, right. That's fandom sort of world that was, that existed then. And boy, you read about this. You think police brutality is bad now. Holy fuck. These G-men were some, they were kind of worse than... The public enemies. Mm -hmm. Like, these guys would straight up punch a baby in the face to get someone. <laughs> and I'm not even joking. I think, if I remember properly, to catch Babyface Nelson, they slapped a kid in front of his mom a couple times. Like, like not like, you know, bad kid. No, no, straight up, grown-ass man, arm back as far as you could get it, and just laid the fucking beat down on this like 12 year old boy in front of his mom till she gave up some information to get to him yeah for sure like no holds barred honestly and these were the people they said let's shoot them this will turn out well for us <laughs> let's start at the beginning a little bit of course when you talk about bonnie parker you can't not talk about clyde barrow like the reason i wanted to separate him is because clyde barrow was a whole nother bucket of crazy like he deserves his own episode way down the line you know <laughs> after uh her husband ended up in jail and you know they were having issues they didn't divorce but she decided to move back in with her mom uh, she became a, ma a waitress, and uh, she started helping one of her friends recover from a broken arm, and that's when she met Clyde Barrow when she was 19 years old. Um, like Joel said, he thinks that they were fucking... There, there were rumors that she fell in love with him, like, basically on the spot. But at that point, when she met him, she just decided to join his gang and uh, started with small crimes. 
And really, she wasn't very good at it to start off. Like, I think it was uh, right when she was 19 in April, I think, of the 1932. April 19th, 1932. 1932, yeah, yeah. So her and uh, Ralph Fultz, who's another member of, an early member of the Barrow Gang, uh, they tried to burglarize a hardware store and steal firearms, uh, other, you know, weapons. What a wonderful bygone era that is when it's like, you know, I'm heading on down to the hardware store, gonna get me a shovel, and, oh, honey, I hope you don't mind, I picked myself up a good old six-shooter, gonna take care of them damn coyotes out there. You sound like a 1930s New Yorker trying to do a Texas accent. No, I like to think <laughs> of it as a 1920s radio announcer. You can like to think of it all you want. I'm telling you what you sound like. It's my interpretation. Okay. Again, right. this Here is my go. art. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> she was arrested for for uh, the burglary and but she was released just a few months later when the grand jury failed to indict her. Uh but while she was in jail, she actually wrote poetry and quite a bit of it that's of course now famous because of who she became. As soon as she got out of jail, she went straight back to the Barrow Gang. The thing about the Barrow Gang is like they just party too hard. <laughs> if you're going to do crimes, this is just bring me back to to the movie Repo Man, the let's go do some crimes. You know, if you're going to do crimes, like you can't do crimes and be a really loud, obnoxious party animal and like brag that you're doing crimes and like throw really wild parties with your gang and especially in the prohibition era. <laughs> and then you're shooting guns and shit. You can but you always need that one buddy, that one friend who's like straight edge, who will keep the shit together. Who's going to, you know, that one crazy fucking friend who will be like, all right, guys, 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 shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. He doesn't even have to be like a straight edge guy. He can just be house dad. Yeah, but again. They just they just needed a house dad. Yeah, maybe. But I'm just saying that if you're going to have a whole bunch of drunk Texans with guns and crime on their in their minds, you want a straight edge dude who's like, okay, I am 100% clear minded. I can handle this shit to keep their shit in line if you want to go for longevity. Why I know this is none of your goddamn business because the statutes of limitations isn't up. So <laughs> during this party, you know, Clyde is just shooting his Browning automatic rifle. He's just shooting it. So, of course, police show up because they, they're suspecting that they're moonshine bootleggers or breaking the law, which they were. And immediately when the police got there, there were two detectives that were shot on the spot. There was a lot of backup and Bonnie Parker started laying out covering fire and the rest of the gang escaped. But they left all their belongings in this apartment. <laughs> and so all of their shit was taken Including like this famous film that you know when you when you look up Bonnie and Clyde you see all these amazing uh, pictures of them like up against a car and like playing with firearms and like some really really amazing historical pictures uh, that the police developed after they cleaned their apartment out. And if you look at those pictures, and this is why I say they were fucking because there's like a like a kind of when you look at it, it's not just friends. There's like kind of intimacy between the two that you don't really see in photos of the past sure because it's very strict it's very you know now nah, say here darling don't be showing them ankles don't give them boys a bad idea here it was just real there was an intimacy between them and in those pictures you can see 
something. Yeah, there was a lot of trust. It's it's trust that you can see. But I'm 12 years old mentally, so I assume they <laughs> fucking. That's fair. And you very well may be right. I mean, yeah, she, they're both very relaxed in the photos. They're they're very trusting, very clingy to one another, you know. So it does it does make sense. But anyway, let's uh let's fast forward a little bit. When the police cleaned out the apartment, they found poems, they found the pictures, they all their belongings. And at this point, like their notoriety was really high. Like they couldn't just continue like eating at restaurants and they couldn't continue going to stores. They basically had to, you know, as we brought up, had to wild west it and start eating by campfires and sleeping out in the woods and staying away from the public eye. And this is one of those things that I honestly believe that they full the moment they saw the cops, Clyde fully intended to shoot them. Yeah, yeah. Because there was such a romanticized view of criminals back then and they would constantly complain about having to eat outdoors and i think this is one of those situations where people wanted fame they wanted to be famous for something but they didn't understand what all went through with that right what 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 entailed with that deal of all right you're famous Shit in the bushes. Going with Bonnie Parker, she was a little bit less of a bloodluster than the rest of the gang. Specifically, these five that were together, I believe it was it was Clyde and then his brother Buck, right? Buck Barrow. Of course, it's fucking West Texas. Why would it not be fucking Buck? <laughs> My, My name is Buck. Buck. <laughs> and I'm de- thank you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, and then Buck's girlfriend. And then there was a fifth guy, the, the fifth wheel. Who was the, uh, kind of worthless? <laughs> the fifth wheel. How sad is that? That you basically kind of condemn your soul to become famous, and now history refers to you as the fifth guy. <laughs> now, see here, you sons of bitches. I kill more cops than you. Why does no one else know the name of Uslid Mirian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> he has a stupid fucking name, that's why. Hair tail, do you hear the ballad of Uslid Marion? <laughs> My God, what an amazing man. Yeah, and it's funny that we bring that up because because of the fifth wheel like problem, some bickering ensued within the gang. Like they were just getting frustrated with one another essentially because it was like couples and he was this like kind of an outsider. They were already kind of aggravated with one another and you know, kind of driving down the road and Clyde's driving at this point and all of a sudden, like, he misses these warning signs that that the bridge is out and he flips a fucking car into the ravine below the bridge. They're not even in, like, a, a getaway or anything at this point. They're just, like, driving down the road. They miss the signs and then fly off this ravine. See, this herein lies the thing. You always see in the movies... And any pop culture depiction of these characters, that they are elaborate, fancy... Schemers. <laughs> schemers and murderers and bloodthirsty and... Yes, it's murder for murder's sake and... Yeah. Yeehaw! And partner, you just yeed your last haw. But in reality, it's more like when Ed Harris sees uh, The Rock and Mark Wahlberg in Pain and Gain and he's just like... We caught you because you're dumb as fuck. Exactly. <laughs> and if you think about it, everyone portrays her as one of two things. Either as a bloodthirsty harlot who got off from murder. Or as this demure, broken, beaten, abused woman. And I think the real tragedy of Bonnie Parker is that 
This was a woman in the middle of a desolate part of America that was dirt poor, but for dirt poor standards, who fell in love with... An idiot. Not just an idiot, but an abusive, vicious idiot. Right. And when given the opportunity to leave, she went back, but you watch the unfortunate evolution of her. So at the end, she is an unfortunate mix of both, you know, a, a broken woman and kind of a monster. And I think a lot of people miss that. And it's kind of a good, I would say, cautionary tale for people to really, if, if you could just make a film that really showed the subtle nuances of this woman's descent into being broken and then building herself up in the worst possible way. Right. Well, and not only broken, like, mentally, but at this point, whenever the car flips, she gets broken physically as well. That exactly. So the car flips, and she gets pinned under the car, and I don't think they ever, like, really figured out whether or not some gasoline had ignited on her, or the battery acid had gone into her, but from her hip down to her ankle, basically, her leg was exposed bone. Like, it was burned to the point where she couldn't even walk. She basically either hobbled around at that point or had to be carried everywhere by Clyde. Just the concept of that battery acid eating, just mentally, that literally made my asshole pucker so tight. (laughs) I can handle a lot of gruesome shit, but the concept of, like, acid, oh, fuck me sideways. Oh, that poor, that poor bitch. Go on, I'm sorry. So they took shelter in Kansas City, Missouri at this time, rented some cabins, but they weren't too careful because they were buying supplies to treat Bonnie's leg, uh, and the shop owner actually alerted uh, the local sheriff, Holt Coffee. That's like the most Kansas City fucking sheriff name I can think of in my entire life, by the way. Holt Coffee. Sheriff Holt Coffee. <laughs> I don't even have a joke. That name is a joke. So so Sheriff Coffee decided not to fuck around, and he had an armored truck and reinforcements uh, from Kansas City uh, show up to the cabins, and of course a gunfight ensued. And the lawmen, you know, at this time, lawmen were using the Thompson machine guns, which I don't know if... You know, for our listeners out there, this has been proven as one of the most inaccurate weapons of all time. Yeah, this is a this is a spray and go weapon, a spray and go firearm. This is that never hits anybody. Yeah, <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde's gang at this point had Browning automatic rifles, which were very accurate, very powerful weapons. It's a beautiful firearm. Browning makes amazing firearms, and they were just blowing these lawmen away. Basically, they didn't have a chance. But at this point, Buck Barrow, I think, was mortally wounded. Uh, He was shot, I'm not sure where, I think in like the hip or the side area. But he did escape with the others. And they escaped to Dexfield Park, where they once again were not being careful enough. And other campers were seeing their bloody bandages and identified them. And they were surrounded once again. And this time, Buck and his wife were both caught. Buck died of his, uh, you know, his injury that he had already sustained. Um, his wife, of course, was captured. Bonnie Clyde and uh, the other guy, what's his name? Eust- 
<laughs> the fifth wheel. I made up that name. I made up Usid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just want to call him that now. <laughs> okay, yep, Usid. There's his name. <laughs> of course, they all escaped on foot this time. At this point is actually the first time when the grand jury indicted Bonnie Parker for murder. She had not been, like, basically had not been witness to... Nobody had ever seen her murder somebody before this point. Like, they'd seen her spraying fire and covering. Uh, they'd seen her doing other crimes, stealing, you know, but they had never seen her actually murder someone, especially a, a cop, uh, until at this point. Yeah, because this was in the... We still experience that in the uh, in American legal system where women are either Madonna, the Madonna whore concept. Women are either holy or they are straight whores. And again, 1930... So the concept of a woman committing a murder like that outside of tabloids or, you know, like, Dateline, Black Widow kills husband for insurance money, but straight up like a cowboy-style shooting in real life, yeah, that that's why part of the reason why this story became so big with the, with the public and newspapers because they legitimately hadn't seen shit like this from a woman before. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, I live in the era now where I know... Not to piss off any woman, because they will fucking shoot me. To your point, like, women like this did exist then. They just were not uh, publicized. And we have, a, we have a lot of women outlaws that we can talk about later down the line in this podcast, in, in other episodes. But really, the problem was is that they weren't publicized because they, don't, they didn't want to make women seem powerful, essentially. We have, a, we have a case here coming in from Cleveland, uh, a serial killer woman. Ah, uh, no, we can't give women the power to make men think that they might actually be not capable of controlling the female population. <laughs> oh, no there, Bill. Let's, uh, let's put another ad in on how women should be doing dishes. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. They did bill Bonnie first on the wanted posters, though, which was pretty sweet. Yeah. 1920s and 1930s women's rights. You get first place on the wanted dead or alive poster. Yeah, and, and the person, of course, that killed him got the most money, which was <laughs> it's interesting. Which the person who murdered the person who finally got Bonnie and Clyde uh, was a, a Texas uh, Texas Ranger called named Frank Hammer. Yeah, we got to talk about him. I'm going to tell you, fine folks at home right now, Google this motherfucker. Yeah, Kevin uh, Costner. Kevin Costner plays him. In a new movie on Netflix. And he is almost, in real life, he was almost as badass as Kevin Costner is portraying him <laughs> in the Netflix movie. The Netflix movie's kind of garbage. But, Frank Hammer, if you want a good read, Google this motherfucker. He was scary awesome. And I just say awesome. He was a hunter. Yeah, he was a human hunter. He was a... Please continue. I'm sorry. I'm getting all excited and shit. We have to know who took them down. Like, this guy was strategically a town behind them at all times, learning where they were going, when they were going, and the patterns that they were using. I mean, he basically could have gotten them several different times, and but he wanted to wait until the perfect moment to, to, to make this catch. And like you said, he's just a hunter. He was, he was stalking his prey, essentially. He had multiple opportunities to capture them alive and said, no, no, I'm going to make sure when I capture them, it will be out of town and there will be no fucking survivors. Holy shit. <laughs> it's interesting that he did that because several other people died 
while waiting for him to, to catch them. I think there were two more cops that were murdered after Hammer was hired by the Texas Department of Corrections. To, I think they pulled them over, and eyewitnesses uh, actually saw them gun down the two lawmen. The eyewitnesses said that they saw Bonnie Parker do the kill shot, but they were discredited for whatever reason. Because a woman can never quite shoot a man. That's just... What's she doing out of the kitchen? We can't have that now. It was strange. It was it was really strange that uh, that they discredited these witnesses, but they they actually said that the that the fifth guy did that. And you know what? I have to look up this guy's name. It's bothering me too much. Okay. And can I just uh, caveat for the audience at home? I'm making fun of 1930s men in power. In no way, shape, or form am I literally saying you know women should stay in the kitchen. This is it's it's an act. I don't want another tweet from someone ripping me a new one over something I said on the show. Henry Medvin was the fifth guy's name. Henry Medvin, the fifth man, the most cuck of all names. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so people were saying that Henry Medvin ca- killed these uh, two cops. Other people were saying that Bonnie Parker killed him. Didn't matter because at this point she now had another warrant out for murder. And this is when they said dead or alive. At this point... The Dallas Journal was running fucking cartoons uh, with a Texas electric chair that said reserved for Clyde and Bonnie. So they really didn't care at this point about bringing them in alive. Once you get Hammer, Frank Hammer involved, all pretenses of bringing him back alive went right out the fucking window. Yeah, basically. Well, I think they had wanted him to bring them alive until they, he had, they had killed one more person. I'm sorry. So since Hammer was hired, they killed three people. The two lawmen and then they killed a constable uh, named William Campbell and even though they're saying the two men killed him they just threw Bonnie Parker's name in that mix too that's what happens when you join a violent it is murderous 1930s gang it is your ass is in trouble for what they do let's talk about their demise specifically Bonnie's demise because you know if we want to talk about her being in love with Clyde Barrow like they pull around this turn after Hammer and his his group have learned every pattern that they go and uh, he realized after a few weeks they were going to the same places in the same pattern because of course these were idiots and uh, on the way to the fifth wheel's mom's house (laughs) uh, or family's house go to your fucking mom's house while you're on run from the police Jesus not just the police the fucking Texas Rangers okay you're on the run from the Texas fucking Rangers you are Public enemy number one. Right. You are in the most wanted gang in America at the time. Hey, y'all, we should go hide at my mama's house. They ain't gonna come look for us at my mama's house. <laughs> the actual fuck is wrong with you, Henry? So they turn this corner, and <laughs> Frank Hammer and his crew is waiting in the bushes. I shit you not. Literally waiting in the bushes on the side of the road and just light their fucking car up with bullets as they come around this corner. Of course, you know, at this time, like, the fastest they're going is, like, 30 miles an hour or whatever. 30 miles an hour on wooden wheels. It's like, in the future, there's... And you know what? No more jokes on that. Okay. But, yeah, I was going to make a Fast and Furious (laughs) joke, but let's just continue. Yeah, so they lit him up, and they killed Clyde immediately. Good. He was the first one to die. He died of a headshot immediately. Good. Fuck that guy. But the firing officers... Uh, claimed that they heard Bonnie screaming, like, in, like, sadness, right before they filled her with bullets as well. I'm going to call bullshit on that one. Again, we're going back to 
I think this is just one of those situations where they needed to humanize or 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 give her a bit of uh, feminine weakness, as they as they called it. I don't think she screamed. I don't, I don't think she even had a chance. I think this is just a bunch of yahoos from Texas who just couldn't grasp the concept of, you know, not even yahoos from Texas, just a bunch of 1930s men who needed to have a woman have that kind of what they perceived as yeah, weakness. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, so you think that basically they just lit up the car and that was it. Yeah. Also, I think they probably sold their stories to the newspaper and, you know, hearing the uh, vile, murderous cry for the death of her lover is going to sell some more papers. They weren't fucking that stupid. They knew what was up. Uh, they're dead at this point, And, you know, she had left a will saying she wanted to be buried next to Clyde, but uh, her mother wasn't having it. Uh, so she brought her body home, had her buried on the property. 20,000 people went to Bonnie Parker's funeral. Jesus Christ. Insane. I know for a fact when I die, maybe five people are going to show up. <laughs> I won't. I sincerely, <laughs> I, I know you won't. I know your ass won't show up. I know. I'll send your family some, like, fruit or something. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of phallic-shaped fruit and be like, this reminded me of your son. He was a dick. <laughs> Dip everything in chocolate, too. There we go. <laughs> go on there, asshat. Keep going. I'm making a list. Like we said in the beginning of the podcast, this was the, the beginning of the end of the public enemy era. Like, uh, this all happened in 1934. By the end of the next year... Dillinger, Babyface Nelson, I believe Capone, all were killed within the year. After they made a bank robbery a federal crime, that just gave the powers that be just carte blanche to just be like, ladies and gentlemen, we are sweeping, we are cleaning house. Yeah. I hope the Undertaker is ready because we are going to fucking work. Yeah, and they did. And that's what scares me is that people romanticize this era so much, but... The amount of government-sanctioned brutality, no one fucking talks about that, and it's fucking frightening. Yeah. All right, I'm going to get the fuck off my soapbox. I'm sorry. I could go for hours. We are talking about murderers here, you know? Yeah, but well, let's stick to murders and not my uh, social-political thoughts and That's fair. ideas. In the end of it all, uh, Parker was accomplice to more than 100 felony acts. In two years... In two, in two fucking years. Yeah, so this included eight murders, seven kidnappings, six bank robberies, other armed robberies, major jailbreak, assault and battery, and countless automobile thefts. Jesus. They were just chaos machines. Yeah. Did they wake up in the morning? Like, they had to have done it at least twice a week. Maybe more. <laughs> two to three times a week, commit a felony. That was just the ones that they were, like, known about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I didn't even know about the kidnappings. Holy shit. Well, they kidnapped they kidnapped several policemen whenever they were on their escapes and things like, you know. Oh, okay. I thought it was like, say here, now we're going to try and kidnap the governor's daughter. You know, shit like that. No, no, no. They were, especially when they were in hiding, I think a couple policemen found at one of the, one of the places they were hiding and they had, they had them held there for weeks. You know that guy immediately turned to religion the moment it was that he was let go because he knew. I don't think he was. I don't think they were let go. Oh, I thought they were. So technically, he did turn to religion. Okay, but. just <laughs> just in a different just way. minus all the extra steps. Okay. <laughs> 
I think. Uh, I, you know, I, I can't remember exactly. But really interesting thing about all this is, like, like you said, the romanticism behind it. The fact that it's inspired so much pop culture. Because, like, there's so many movies out. Like you said, there's a brand new one on Netflix with uh, Kevin Costner. You know, there's shows. There's songs written about Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, there is a movie. I didn't get a chance to watch it. I really wanted to watch it before this podcast. A film from 2008 called Bonnie and Clyde vs. Dracula. And I'm, re- <laughs> I'm really sad that I didn't get to watch it. Fucking 2008 films. It was a lot like... That was a thing. It was It was right around 2008 was when Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies was written. And, oh, right. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. Vampire Hunter. That was later on. But I really enjoyed that book. That was a really good book. Or FDR versus werewolves. Oh, nice. FDR in a fucking wheelchair with Gatling guns on each side, played by uh, what was the name of Janet's husband from a uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show? Michael McKean. Michael McKean as FDR shooting down werewolves because you know werewolves bit him and gave him the polio, and that's why he can't use his legs. <laughs> All right, sorry, little uh, little tangent there. 2008 films are weird. All right, so before we move on to our second villain, I do have an excerpt here from one of Bonnie Parker's poems called The Story of Suicide Sal. And Joel, do you want to read that? I'll even let you read it in a Bonnie Parker. And now an excerpt from The Story of Suicide Sal. We each of us have a good alibi for being down here in the joint. But few of them really are justified if you get right down to the point. You've heard of a woman's glory being spent on a downright cur. Still, you can't always judge the story as true being told by her. As long as I've stayed on this island and heard confidence tales from each gal, only one seemed interesting and truthful. The story of Suicide Sal. Bravo. Thank Bravo. you. You really, you really are an actor. You Thank really you. are. But no, I, I really wish... And this is going to sound stupid, but shit, that was pretty fucking good. We're definitely going to post some of her poems on the on our social media, like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and stuff, uh, because I think uh, our listeners should definitely read. I mean, there are, there are like four or five of them out there. They should definitely read her poetry. It's really interesting. I'd never even heard that she wrote poetry, and I'm reading this going like, damn, that's not fucking bad. <laughs> so are you ready to move on to Catwoman? Am I ready to move on to the first fictionalized character to give young Joel an erection as a child? <laughs> Abso-fucking-lutely. Yeah. I can literally tie my first boner that I remember to a comic book on my fifth birthday that my dad got me because it had Catwoman on the inside and I was confused and very happy at the same time. Let's talk about Selena Kyle, Catwoman. I promise not a single one of our listeners wants to know about your five-year-old boner. Yes, they do. I know of at least, I know two of them. I know Cheats McGee right now (laughs) is sitting at home, drinking Mountain Dew, sitting in his basement, surrounded by cats in his mint condition, fucking Star Wars figures and Nintendo DS games going... Yes, Joel. <laughs> Tell me more about the boner. <laughs> He's not. Oh, he is. He'll never admit to it. So, Catwoman, uh, otherwise known as Selina Kyle, uh, first appeared in Batman number one uh, in 1940 as the cat. She becomes Catwoman later on in 1942. Uh, she was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. 
Bill Finger. Just the name Bill Finger. Hi there. Bill Finger here, doctor proctologist. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Is that a little cold there, kitty cat? My apologies. Selena Kyle was 5'11", black hair, green eyes, 146 pounds, loves long walks on the beach, strawberries dipped in chocolate. She was, uh, of course, American, born in Gotham City. But some of her skills, uh, she's extremely acrobatic. She's speedy. She's stealthy, athletic, and uh, master of disguise and deception, honestly. Yeah, she is She is kind of the criminal James Bond. She that That's how I viewed her. She is a female criminal James Bond. Yeah, that, I mean, that's fair. Like, <laughs> And she has been portrayed by many, many actresses. Uh, from Julie Newmar to Michelle Pfeiffer oh. to Halle Berry <laughs> to Anne Hathaway. We do not fucking talk about Halle fucking Berry. <laughs> We'll All get right. to that. We'll get we'll get to that later in the in this episode. One of my favorite portrayals, of course, is uh, voiced by Adrian Barbeau in the '90s Batman animated series. And Adrian Barbeau is like really famous for um, John Carpenter movies like The Fog and Escape from New York. And so Catwoman, her creation was like inspired, you know, by 1930s film star like Gene Harlow. Like, Bob Kane wanted this character to add sex appeal and romantic femininity to Batman uh, while still being a criminal and kind of driving him nuts. Can I just say, if you haven't seen a picture of Gene Harlow, that is an excellent fucking choice for your muse for uh, dangerous female sexuality that would drive any man nuts. Because, whoo, what a dish, that woman. And talented to boot. Really, the point of Catwoman, though, was to get female readers. Like, Bob Kane, you know, they had Batman, but they they were just missing something. You know, they had the cat in, in the first issue of, of actual Batman. They needed, they wanted to cover all their bases, essentially. Oh, yeah, because it's a, it's a business. It's a business model. You want to appeal to the widest demographic as possible. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense that you would want something to appeal to two female audience members to try and get that group in while at the same time giving kids boners sex cells they did a good job of of spreading that demographic by not just making her a villain she was she was not just a villain but she was also an anti-hero or you know vigilante there were many times when she was playing both sides like almost like black widow in the in the marvel universe there were comics where she of course was Fighting Batman, fighting, doing crime, you know, stealing things. But also there were times when there was a bigger threat and she knew that the ultimate threat was a, was to her by these villains. So she had to even team up with Batman to take those villains down. It's like, okay, I'm a villain, but I don't want to get too villain up in this bitch. Would she be kind of the first sort of up there, one of the original kind of... I suppose, anti-heroes. Yeah, I mean, Batman, when he first started, was straight murdering people, so that would put him in the anti-hero. But would Catwoman kind of be the first nuanced sort of anti-hero that we could think of in comic books? So that's not a question for me. I'm not a giant DC fanboy. Like, I do like it casually, and and maybe a little more than casually. That would honestly be a question for uh, my buddy Brian, who is uh, one of the hosts of Nerdonomy. He's probably, like, listening to this episode right now and like god these fucking guys don't know what the fuck they're talking about i wish that they would just shut up about catwoman but you know it's whatever (laughs) 
But, you know, funny that even with her kind of being an anti-hero, she was ranked 11th on uh, IGN's top 100 comic book villains of all time. Super famous villain. And one of the only, like, comic book villains to get their own movie. It sucked, but, 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 but she did get her own movie. Do we call the Catwoman film a movie? <laughs> or do we call it Nazi science that somehow made it to life and got on the screen. <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll, I promise. I promise we'll have a whole section later in this podcast about the Catwoman movie. Okay? Okay. We're A little bit about uh, Catwoman's like crimes, what she does. She typically dabbles in burglary and robbery. But, you know, it's it's really hard to get too far into Catwoman's like character because there are so many storylines in DC Comics where she's done different things. She's been a bounty hunter before. She's murdered people before. One of the linear stories that goes through almost all of her story arcs is the fact that her mother was this distant woman that didn't really give a shit about her and cared more about her cats than she cared about Selena. And her mom commits suicide when Selena's very young and her father kind of resents her because of her resemblance to her mom and he becomes abusive and drinks himself to death. So it's almost like the Bruce Wayne storyline that kind of follows throughout all of his comic arcs except for the really, really weird ones. Uh, with her, it's kind of an abusive dad and a and a distant mother. And the interesting thing about about Catwoman is that it's like a it's almost like a classic noir story of like hero loves villain, villain loves hero, um, but but also kind of this this opposite Batman. You know what I mean? Like so, Batman was this born rich kid. You know, Selina Kyle was this poor girl from the Gotham ghetto. Batman was white. Um, Catwoman is mixed race in, in in most of her story arcs. And, you know, this was a mixed race woman in, in the 1940s. Yeah, so as much as I like to talk some shit about Bob Kane being, uh, I don't know, a bit of an idea thief, it did take some balls to create a character who was uh, mixed nationalities uh, or mixed race, however you want to put it, that didn't fall primarily into the trope the racist or, you know, racial, perceived racial actions trope that they did, especially in the 1940s. So I do have to give DC and Bob Kane some credit on that one. I agree with you there. Batman won't kill people, but he'll cripple them. And Catwoman will kill them, but not usually cripple them. And then, of course, he's got his inheritance and Catwoman would just steal her money. So it was almost like the perfect anti-Batman that was created. Yeah, it's like everyone says that Joker is the anti-Batman. It, no. I, I feel that the, her character is more closely related. It could be definitely qualified as the uh, as the ant, as the opposite of Batman, his his other half. And what I think what I like a lot about when when comparing these two characters, you got your Bonnie Parker and your Selina Kyle. You kind of see the where their similarities are drunken father who died where the mom was, you know, actually, I, I, from what I heard, Bonnie Parker's mother wasn't abandoning, didn't really abandon her. No. Or she just, you know, single mom in the middle of Texas, she had to work, so she wasn't there. But you can kind of see the similarities and you can kind of see where these two people were presented a choice as to go right or left and it's interesting because you can see Bonnie just go way the fuck off in left field and lose kind of control of herself and lose who she was 
and kind of have to adopt a persona in the in the of who she want, had to become by joining this gang. And you can see Catwoman going way off in right field and taking full control mm-hmm. of everything she does. And it's so sad because that's how it is in real life. And you rarely see people who fucking just go down the middle of the fucking road and be goddamn healthy. <laughs> right. Well, sometimes it doesn't it doesn't hurt to uh, get supernatural powers from cats and cat gods. Like some that did not lines. fucking happen. <laughs> that was a god-awful fucking movie. No, so there were a couple comic storylines where that did happen, but... I digress. Yeah, and you know what? Those stories are no longer canon. You want to know why? Because they rebooted the fucking universe. Can we just get that fucking god-awful Catwoman movie out of the fucking way? (laughs) That cinematic abortions afterbirth of a fucking film. Yeah, it cost $100 million to make, too. That was $100 million! That fucking movie! (laughs) Yeah, the movie where she fights Sharon Stone in a pantsuit at the end. In fact, Halle Berry actually came out with a, a Razzie speech after that movie and said, First of all, I would like to thank Warner Brothers. Thank you for putting me in a piece of shit, god-awful movie. It's just what my career needed. Okay. <laughs> this bullshit right here. What a bunch of shit. <laughs> Warner Brothers, thanks for putting me in this movie. Your ass signed the dotted line on itself. Your career took a hit, and it's your own fucking fault. (laughs) You read the script beforehand. (laughs) All right, real quick. uh, I do want to talk about her weapons a little bit, because back in the 40s, she had the Cat-Elac car. I don't know if you remember that. Okay. Oh, puns. Puns. Puns in comic books. They're always fucking there. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Uh... Her main weapon, of course, were her was her bullwhip and her metal claws, but she would also use bolas, knockout gas, and in the animated series, her cat Isis, who she would <laughs> bring with her sometimes to do crimes. And I really, I love the Batman animated series. It was just perfect, in my opinion. Do you remember that the Batman animated series, when it first debuted, was actually on at night, primetime TV? I don't remember. That was the first time I remember seeing a cartoon on primetime, like on Fox. I remember the first week it debuted, it was on primetime, 7.30 on Fox. That was like on a fucking Friday night. That was, that's how you got a fucking audience. Nowadays, Friday is, you know, the the death slot. Yeah, you're going to get the seal of approval for us on that. If you haven't ever seen that Batman animated series, just go watch the entire thing all the way through. Lastly... Before we wrap things up uh, and get to our bowler scale, like, Joel, who's your favorite Catwoman portrayal? I'm going to have to go with Anne Hathaway. Really? Really. Because it was comic booky, but I like the fact that Anne Hathaway and and uh, Christopher Nolan and Jonathan Nolan managed to make comic book, but make her realistic. And at the same time, what I mean realistic is someone with her behavioral patterns is going to be annoying as fuck. Okay? Those kind of fucking narcissists are annoying as hell. And Anne Hathaway and them managed to pull it off where you enjoyed her character. You believed a woman would want to go through the crazy shit she's doing to get a fresh start. But they didn't make her a damsel in distress. And at the same time, they didn't make her 
a uh, uh, over-the-top badass. They played between the two, so you got more emotional range than any of the other characters. That's fair. I gotta go with Michelle Pfeiffer. And the reason for that is she, like you said, she is like the epitome of powerful woman villain in Batman Returns. And like she does whatever the fuck she wants in that movie. She is essentially abused and killed, and I put killed in quotation marks, by a man, comes back and just full throttle from there on out. And and honestly, I'm not a huge fan of the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. I like the second one quite a bit. I despise the third one, the one that Anne Hathaway is actually in. I fucking hate it. And I'm a huge fan of the Tim Burton Batman movies. Like, to me, those feel like comic books. They're so comic feeling. And not only that, I had a really huge poster of Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman on my wall when I was a kid. (laughs) But yeah, you know, when when I think of comic book, like, villains, Batman Returns is up there anyway, just with Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer. But, like, she really, like, she's really just a piece that many, many comic book movies are missing. Okay, I I think for her, I think you're right for the time frame, especially the the comic book film world as we knew it then. She was definitely fitting. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I just personally, I prefer Anne Hathaway. I just feel like maybe if they had somehow found a way to incorporate Christopher Walken in with Anne Hathaway, it really would have just made it perfect, just like they did in Batman Returns. <laughs> wow, Selena. <laughs> Don't do it. It's crazy. I'm a hoffa. Sorry. His fucking hair is nuts in that movie. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, one last thing before we get to the bowler scale. Do you have a particular favorite Catwoman story in comics? Uh, most recently, I'm going to have to say with the uh, lead up to the... I-, I-, I just enjoyed the wedding of Batman between Batman and Selina. I like that whole storyline leading up to it. It's not even a Selina Kyle story. I j- well, it was. It- Batman... And Wonder Woman had to fight demons for a thousand years, a.k.a. one day, while Selina took this guy who had been in there for eternity fighting these demons. And Selina is trying to show this guy around and not take a shit. And Batman and Wonder Woman are off fighting, you know, demons. And I just, that was one of my favorite stories when it comes to Batwoman. Batwoman, yes. Batwoman. (laughs) Your friend is getting more and more pissed. Uh, mine is, uh, it's called When in Rome, and it's uh, by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. It's like my favorite combo ever. My favorite writer-artist combo ever. Like, you know, he's responsible for, like, Long Halloween and uh, Dark Victories, and then also in the Marvel Universe, the, like, Spider-Man Blue. Um, just a really unique art style and a fantastic writing style, so. Yeah, I'll give you that one. Those That, that, that guy, yeah. Those two, Jeff Loeb, I love him. We're getting along here, and I know that uh, you're a little bitch, so let's move on to our bowler hat scale. Where does Bonnie Parker belong? Uh, I think Bonnie Parker gets a five. Five, okay. Bonnie Parker's middle of the road. Bonnie Parker is, uh, unfortunately, for me, in my mind, and maybe this is, you know, 21st century sensibilities with early 1900 world, but she had plenty of chances to get out, and she made the choice to stay. And she she made the choice to stay, and she made the choice to become who she became. So for me, with with Bonnie, she's middle of the road. She isn't irredeemably evil, but 
she chose it. And she did a lot of crimes. <laughs> like a hundred over a hundred felonies in two years. <laughs> Just imagine if she would have lived till she was like thirty five. Jesus. Like how many crimes? <laughs> Some men just want to watch the word burn. <laughs> Bonnie is one of these people. So I agree with you there. I'd probably go like 4.5, maybe up to 5, because, you know, really, there was only one case that they could find where they knew that she did the killing. Yeah. Like, there was speculation that, you know, that she did, but really only one where they could prove that she did. Now, what about Catwoman? Catwoman, it's tough because, you know, there's so many different versions of Catwoman. If I'm just going to have to take all the versions of Catwoman and roll it up in one hairball uh, to go on the polar hat scale, I guess I gotta go... You and your motherfucking puns. I guess I gotta go, like, maybe like a 3.5. That's weak. That's 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 pretty fucking weak. Okay. You, do you have a rebuttal, sir? Yeah, I'm gonna go with five. Oh, you're putting him neck and neck, huh? I'm putting him neck and neck because Selena Kyle is the same as uh, Bonnie Parker. She had so many opportunities... And almost all of the canon involving Catwoman shows that there were defining moments. Moments where she could have gone one way and gone another. And she made the choice to become who she is. Even when she's helping Batman against villains, like she typically always just turns back to crime after the deed is done. Right. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that they're kind of weirdly mirror images of each other. And Catwoman wouldn't have become Catwoman had she not had the upbringing. I think Bonnie Parker wouldn't have become Bonnie of Bonnie and Clyde had she not had her upbringing. So it's it's more nature and nurture, really. So that doesn't make them totally evil. So they both kind of get a middle of the road for me. Yeah, they did despicable things, but they're very middle of the road on evil factor and redeemability. You convinced me. I'm going back up to five. Good job, Joel. I am the great orator. Yes. <laughs> All right, so uh, we do have a couple pieces of listener feedback. Uh, the first is from Phil, and Phil gets Phil gets special treatment because Phil's my best friend. So I send him the episodes before anybody else hears the episodes. <laughs> so sorry, guys. He, he responded after he listened to the D.B. Cooper episode and said, Excellent third episode. Y'all are crushing it. You're goddamn right we are, Phil, you fucking terrorist. <laughs> Biff. I don't know if you know Biff, Joel, but a uh, really nice guy. I worked with him at Charbroil Grill Service Center. Well, there you go. Where we answered phones. And he, if it's the same Biff I'm thinking of, I will never forget this. This fucker <laughs> answered the phone and told us, all of you, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Shh. And he picks up the phone and he goes, All right, Miss Sexsmith, what I'm going to need you to do is apply lubricant to the hardened nut. <laughs> apply, yes, lots and lots of lubricant. Now I'm going to need you to take that screw, that ratchet and that screw and I'm going to need you to get it in there and work <laughs> as hard. He is making the dirtiest phone call I have That's amazing. customer service call I've ever heard in my life to a woman named Mrs. Sexsmith while keeping a straight face. He's been my hero ever since. Well, he had this to say about us. He said, uh, the podcast is a super cool idea. Good to see where characters may be drawn from. Uh, I listen to true crime podcasts all the time, specifically serial killers. I like the way you guys are taking it. It's not as annoyingly joking like last podcast on the left. Uh, I feel like they don't give the topics the seriousness they deserve. I totally want to eventually guest on this. If you ever talk about Gary Ridgway or Ted Bundy, I'm your guy. 
fuck yes. I will, yes. <laughs> when you're in town, I will fucking come to New Albany and we will set this shit up. Where? I don't give a fuck. Two more pieces. One from Caleb, who's listened to every episode so far. So thank you, Caleb. Uh, he had some great stuff to say last week. But this week he said, Joel just said a guy who walked onto a plane with a bomb is his hero. In 2019. Fucking hell. I'm not saying Joel is dangerous. I'm just saying Joel could be dangerous. I am dangerous. He really wants to hijack a plane just to smoke some luckies 30,000 feet in the sky. What's the point to living if you fucking can't do that at least once? <laughs> so thanks for that, Caleb, and thank you for continuing to listen to us. I, I have a question for you. Is this the same one who left the, uh, the, the, the review on iTunes? Yes, yes. Can I, can I just read something sure. for the audience and for you? Sure. Okay. Now, this is completely unprompted, unasked for. I don't know, Caleb. But I'm going to say this because you're the one saying I'm not an actor. <clears throat> Joel is clearly a gifted actor and orator, and his deeply researched impressions create an auditory landscape that is unparalleled outside of the true theater. So go fuck yourself. I'm an actor. I have it in writing. Fine. We don't have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> Our last piece uh, came, comes from Instagram from Gay Monet. And they said, I loved it. And that is five O's, by the way. So we got five O's. And a single explanation point. Oh, Gay Monet, you sexy, sexy beast, you. <laughs> I will see you soon. Five O's. I will give you five O's, baby. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Then. I really wanted to creep. Out, really want to freak out the squares. <laughs> Let them know what the fuck we're getting into here. That about wraps things up for episode four. Just want to say thanks again for all the amazing response we've been getting from personal text messages and people wanting to be guests, uh, to retweets, shares, and subscribes. Uh, before we go, I do want to take this time to plug a couple more podcasts from United Cipher. Uh, check out Music Video Countdown and my other podcast, Motion Picture Meltdown. Uh, current episodes of those are are running. You can listen to some some older podcasts uh, that we've done, like Talks Over Games, Fallout Forecast, and the Anime Alphabet. We'll listen to some other podcasts that we love, like Nerdonomy. Um, sorry, Brian, if you hated our entire spiel on Catwoman. Check out the Whiskey Reel. Uh, check out Sean vs. Wild. Sorry to waste your time. And Code Yellow, a Scare Actors podcast. And uh, I'd like to take this moment and just say this is gonna be a little weird, but I just want to say, uh, Michael. I'm sorry that you aren't able to hear these new episodes. I know that this would be a show that you would have absolutely loved. And I, for one, would have loved to have you on it. And, buddy, I am going to miss the ever-loving shit out of you. And wherever we go, when our energy leaves this place, I hope... I hope for you it's Valhalla, brother, because you are a good friend. And I miss you, buddy. Um, with that being said, I'm Steven. Yeah, I'm Joel. So make sure you stay evil. <laughs> <laughs>